This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so I'm just going to thank them for their constant friendship and support. Enjoy the show. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend, Alan Linick, and he talks to me about his love of dungeons and dragons. Alan is self-admittedly someone who came to this relatively late in life in the grand scheme of things, especially for how into it he is and how much he feels like he has been kind of creating stories and DMing a lot of his life, even as a kid. So that was a very fun way for me to realize that he had kind of been interacting with this creative endeavor throughout his life, even if he only relatively recently came to the game itself. I think it's an incredible thing to listen to Alan create worlds as he talks to me about his love of this game, and I'm sure it's so much fun to sit and play D&D with him. And if you like this conversation and want to check out more of Alan's D&D endeavors, you should absolutely check out his podcast with his bud, Tyler Samples, who gets a lot of love in this ep. Shout out to Tyler. Their show is called TLDM, which I think is a hilarious name for a podcast about DMing. And I encourage everyone to check it out. I love that there is a moment in here where I ask Alan a question and all he does to answer it is lead me through what would be a small portion of a D&D campaign. It's just such a wonderful example of what the game looks like and how one approaches it. You can see Alan on the Sega City ETC stage so many nights of the week. So go check him out. I can't wait to see that show. Uh, he's such a, a lovely presence, as is everyone else in that cast. I do not have too many plugs, but if you like this show, you should absolutely check out some of the other podcasts in the Chicago Podcast Cooperative most especially the One Shot podcast and campaign, as they are both live uh, role-play game podcasts. If you enjoy playing Dungeons & Dragons, or at least hearing people talk about it, or playing a small portion of it, then I can't recommend enough the show's One Shot and campaign. The host of One Shot, James D'Amato, was on the show within the last few weeks. I believe I give him a little bit of love in this episode itself, and you should check out all of the above. The Nerdalogs have a Your Story show this Sunday night at 7 o'clock at the Beat Kitchen with some friends from a program called Sit, Stay, Read. It's a organization that pairs kids with doggies to get everyone to read books to doggies. And I just can't think of a more adorable, more endearing cause. 
I mean, there's probably some out there, but come on, guys. That's really cute. Uh, so come out and hear some stories from those folks. Uh, throw some dollars at the folks from Sit, Stay, Read to provide doggies and books to kids. And enjoy the Nerdalog show. The Your Stories. I love that show so much. It's another podcast in the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. What a deal. If you'd like to see me in a live improv show, you can come to the Annoyance Theater any Thursday night at 9.30 to watch the Fitchbowl, the group I am a part of, Sight Unseen, closes out the night each week. If you are a student of improv, you can have the opportunity to play in the second set of the night each week as we pull some student ID cards to give those students an opportunity to play with other improv veterans and teachers etc. from around the city. It's a good show. It's my favorite performance opportunity that I get on a regular basis. It's my only performance opportunity that I get on a regular basis, but still my favorite. I love it so much, and I would love to see anyone there who's within the sound of my voice currently. I think that's about all I've got. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy Alan Linick. If you want to find a subreddit about just like fucking one movie from the 80s, right. it exists. Right. And you can talk to other people who are huge fans of that thing so easily. And of course, that's why Reddit is, you know, popular and successful. Yeah. Like I'm on a, I'm on a Reddit for diplomacy. You know that board game? I do know of p- diplomacy, yes. Uh, and I'm trying to schedule a live play really? sometime this month if you're interested. <laughs> okay. Do you want to play? I don't know what Have how you ever the gameplay it? works. No. I the only the main things that I've heard about diplomacy this will actually color You'll lose the whole your friends. <laughs> exactly. That's what you've heard? Yes. Yeah. Like the this will probably color this whole conversation because I'm typically surrounded by people who I would consider to be deeper nerds than I am. Okay. So like I in turn have a surface level of knowledge about a lot of nerdy things that I don't actually know anything about. The things I know about diplomacy are like you said, you can it's like a turn-based thing so you can play over the course of a long period of time. Uh yes, but so actually the time in relation to a regular board game, mm-hmm. the the time between turns takes much longer than the actual turn. And that's where most of the game is played. And gotcha. Everyone's turn, quote unquote turn, uh, or like moves uh-huh. is a better way to put it. Everyone's moves on the board happens simultaneously. Oh. So you, you, the whole point of the game is you're you're wheeling and dealing with people um, and making them promises or like trying to form alliances and telling them when the moves are read, these are going to be my moves. And then probably you're fucking lying. And so then, that's why people. That's the other thing that I know about this game is that people lose friendships over it. Oh yeah, like the f- oh, lifelong like fights and vendettas it's, over yeah, it's diplomacy. Like people, people are like, oh man, when you hang out with family, don't play Monopoly, right? Right. Like, that's the one. Like, or uh, don't play Risk, or right. these like cutthroat sort of like. Um, there's there can only be one, and right. at some point, as friendly or as happy as we are, rolling dice and like laughing around a table, at some point <laughs> you are coming from my shit, right? right. Like there, when Monopoly, when the Monopoly board, when everything's for sale, everyone's yeah. so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's so nice when the board is open, but yeah. then when the properties are gone and you you're like, please, please, Daddy, don't roll seven. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you do. 
And then, then you see what people are really like. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but risk or diplomacy is like that from turn one. So you you're writing your orders on paper and submitting them, mm-hmm. and then the turn, for lack of a better description for it, the the orders phase is you process everyone's orders simultaneously. And if people are trying to do the same thing at the same time or they're doing things thinking that other people are going to help them or stay out of the way and they don't, when those moves are processed simultaneously, you get screwed. (sighs) So it's a great game. It's a great game. Play it online first. Really? Because it'll give you a feel for how it, like, works uh-huh. um and also you'll never see those people again sure right so you're like you might as well be getting fucked over by a computer player that is an ai and has no feelings right but in real life what's happening is there's like some schlubby dude on the other end of the screen who's outplaying who's like, you at diplomacy just cackling as he stabs you in your <laughs> tender tender back <laughs> i think that's a good i think that's a good setter you know that's a good transitionary point into what we're going to spend the bulk of the time talking about. Yeah, a game that is literally the exact opposite of that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, that's a really good point. My guest today is Alan Linick, and we're going to spend the bulk of this time talking about his love of Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, right. And you were wearing a D&D hoodie when you got here, weren't you? I yes. was. It is too hot. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm already stinking up the room. So It's a it's a good recording studio. We did talk about how weirdly the sound changes when you step in. It is also a little steamy. It does get warm. It is it is warm and uh, the walls just for reference, I don't know if anyone has ever, ever done this on the show before. Um just for reference, the walls are covered in that like uh, pyramidal foam sound absorption material, mm-hmm. and which is awesome because it's like uh, we're we're in the fortress of solitude in here. Uh-huh. But the thing that's the only thing that sucks about it is that it creates an optical illusion um, where I cannot you cannot see in three dimensions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I'm just falling into like that 1950s sci-fi time warp. Yeah, sure. Uh huh. Um, so that's what's going on in here. <laughs> so if it sounds like Alan's voice is like kind of away from the mic sometimes, it's, it's because, because I'm trying to overcorrect. He, he's turning his head to not look at the walls and spin into a, a daze. Delirium. Of, yeah. <laughs> I apologize for putting putting you in that position. But... I'm, I'm having a good time. So far. <laughs> good, me too. Me too. Phew. We talked about so much stuff already. I know. I know. We were talking about the nature of why we film things. You you hit record probably thirty minutes into a conversation. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. Sometimes I'm really bad about not even beginning to start recording. I'll just get into like oh. What a likable person. We could talk for so long and then not be on mic. Because um, that's really all this is, and it's just an excuse for me to talk to people I like talking to. I'm happy to be here. What is the origin of your love for Dungeons & Dragons? Um, you know, I was actually, I, I was thinking about this on the way here because I anticipated the question, how long have you been playing? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, on, pen, like, literally speaking, uh, I, I played... A rounded Pathfinder, like a couple of years ago, and then didn't pick it back up again. Um, Pathfinder is a system that is 
based basically a clone, uh, but based heavily on uh, an earlier edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So the there was sort of like a split in the player base of people who wanted to keep playing that like rule system, and then D and D was like, well, we're moving on to the next edition. So those of you who want to stay with us, here we go. Gotcha. Um, but in actuality, um, I've essentially been playing or like dungeon mastering since I was like a kid. Okay. Because my favorite games to play like on the schoolyard and stuff were like we would play um we would play Star Wars or we would play Jurassic Park or we would play you know like all sure. whatever like sh- stupid nerd movies yeah. we were l- watching. We at played the time. Spice Girls all the time. Great. <laughs> exactly. And it's the same thing, right? Yeah. But uh I was <laughs> In Power Rangers, that was another big one. We but there had to, there was an arbiter, right? Was there usually an arbiter? Yeah, I mean, I think if there wasn't, then we spent most of our time just arguing about who was going to be who, right? On right. like what your powers entailed and stuff, right? But so like when we were, when I was a kid, um, and I'm talking like middle school, like PS three twenty one in uh, Brooklyn. Heyo, uh, if you're out Yo, there, shout out. Uh, what's up? If that building's still standing, I doubt it. Um, but when we would go out into recess and play and stuff. They would all be like the, you know, they're the un, the group trying to like get out of Jurassic Park or whatever. And then I play like the weather and the dinosaurs and the Man, obstacles. So all like the NPCs, exactly. If you will. That is exactly right. <laughs> so because that that was always Again, super fun. Again, I to have me. a good surface level of knowledge uh, about uh, nerd so. stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so that was me. So like, so. T- I, like, Non-player characters, for those unfamiliar, would be pretty much exactly what you're describing, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, ex- exactly that. So I, I would be, I, I would be the game, the I world would, builder. I would be the game that they would play. That's so funny um, that you can recognize that in your nature as a kid. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I didn't, I never got introduced at an early age mm-hmm. to the game, mm-hmm. the the specific game of Dungeons and Dragons, but that. That's where it came from, right? Was these guys um, like Gygax and Arneson who are like big fans of uh, medieval style fantasy. And they were like, well, I want to be these guys, right? Like, how do we, and it's 1974. Um, so they're like, how do we be these guys? And they basically cobbled together, they stole and like cobbled together rules from various like other board games uh-huh. that they already enjoyed. And they figured out a way to, like, sit around a table and have a structured... They're basically creating, like, a structured version of what children instinctively do. Yeah, you're not wrong, yeah. That's And that's basically it. So once I discovered the game, I was like, this is something that I love. Like, I've already already loved doing this. So I started, I started from the DM side of Dungeons & Dragons. I was just about ever... to ask, are you... Do you DM now? Or yes. do you a little of both? Yeah. Um, so I am currently running... Two games and playing in a third. Wow! And this, the the one I'm in as a player. That's this is only my second time ever being a doing player. a campaign not as a right. dungeon yeah. master. I've, I've pretty much only ever run. Campaigns. That seems kind of crazy. It's weird. Uh, I'm really enjoying being a player now. I know why people play. <laughs> <laughs> that's just so funny to come to it from such a place of being the facilitator when you were never really a player before that yeah i think i think the typical 
Well, it's weird because you see, I think you see a lot online too of people who are like, we're putting together our first game. We've always been interested in playing. We don't know what the hell we're doing. Right. Um, and then the general consensus is like, nice, go for it anyway. Picks, draw straws or whatever. That person is going to be the DM and she's going to kill it. Like, and then you guys are just going to suck at everything for a while. And, right. But it's going to be fun. Cool. And so it won't matter that you're fudging rules and making shit up and have to stop to look things up. And then over time, you're going to suddenly... Like one day you're going to have a session and you're going to be like, wow, that was fucking crazy and awesome. And everyone was super immersed and it was awesome. That's amazing. So, so that's that's basically it. But I, so I think, but I do think the typical progression is like you start as a player um, and you play a bunch and then you're, you start coming up with like, you're like, man, it would be really cool if this or like I saw a thing that someone did about that and blah, blah, blah. And you start like mentally constructing a game. campaigns or yeah. And, you, and then you try your hand at it what got you into trying to dm for the first time did uh, you dm first before you ever played yeah man that seems yeah. crazy to me so i've dm'd a lot more than i've played um i i don't i don't know i just like so, suddenly was like man that you know dungeons and dragons is a thing i've heard about uh-huh it sounds right up my alley uh-huh um i'm just gonna See if I could put a group together and do it. So you were the impetus. You went like, this is something I want to try to do. Yeah. Does anyone want to play a campaign? Did you ask people who you knew were yeah, D&D just, gamers? Uh, no, actually, I just, because I didn't know, it's not something I'd ever really brought up before. So right. I just like asked a bunch of people that, that I knew if they that, would be interested. That's really fun. So we did. That's so funny. What does that job look like? You know, like how did you put together your first campaign? For someone who is unfamiliar with the game, um, so I, my first campaign I put together, I w do don't do that way no more, <laughs> um, because I think I think I made a mistake that a lot of uh, early DMs make, um, and it, it's it's the same mistake that like uh, I think there's a lot of tie-ins between improv and uh, D and D. I think for sure. Um, and it's a mistake that I think a lot of early improvisers can make as well, which is that you th you feel like you need to bring a fully fledged, completely basically done thing mm -hmm. to the table. Mm -hmm. um, where the truth of the matter is, is building some building things to play with, mm -hmm. um, and then leaving pretty much completely open ended room for plot and like. Uh, a stuff. gift that someone contributes yeah. to the story. Yeah, the, I, the most successful you feel, or at least I feel as a DM, is when my players take the reins on the story. And I, the less I talk during a session, uh, the better I feel about it. That's interesting. Yeah. How do you even... I guess my hang-up with games like this, going into it, I have played a couple of RPGs. I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. What have you played? I've played a game that my friend was trying to develop. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, that was like a... I know when we did it, it was like a Western um, RPG, and I think it would, he still has intentions of... Uh, that sounds pretty rad. Yeah, maintaining it as a, a, a Western. And I played with the Nerdalogs, a large number of whom you know, do really enjoy playing RPGs and are great improvisers. So seeing someone like Mike Jando. Oh, man, I bet know, he's great. He was great. And it made me go, that is literally the first time that I realized how close RPGs and improv were. 
was watching this great improviser in Mike Jando and person who loves fantasy and sci-fi combine those two things into gameplay. And I was just like, oh, fuck, that's all this is? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Wait, I can do anything? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's like, oh, I want my character to be named this because that's hilarious like <laughs> and everyone's like all right what's up schnoz cumber or whatever your yeah, name is that was exactly it Uncanny. was that really it no <laughs> oh, damn i thought we had a thing <laughs> uh it's it's and then the other one is fiasco i loved playing i don't know that one. Oh, it's just a very loose game structure that is essentially an improvised uh, Coen Brothers film. Oh, cool. It's fantastic. You'd love it. It's basically just, it gives you, you get a book of fiasco scenarios and there are a bunch of, you know, expansions and things. There's probably a amazing fiasco Reddit. Uh, but there's a bunch of, you know, already established foundations for Coen Brothers films, you know? There's a, like... Midwest type setting and a you know down south type setting things like that where you know what the types of characters in raising Arizona are like mm -hmm. and so it just gives you so you choose like a certain set of parameters for your location and your characters and everyone makes their own and you just kind of like improvise scenes from there and you get certain you do have dice and there are certain incentives for accomplishing certain goals within the game and the scenarios themselves but the gameplay itself is pretty loose like it's m more suggestive than it is uh, strict hmm um, but it's very fun, you know? That it, sounds cool. It's very cool. It's become a pretty popular game, I think, not even necessarily for hardcore gamers. It's a good, like, uh, pick up and, and play. And I know improvisers who loved playing it who would never have fathomed that they would have played a game like Dungeons & Dragons. Interesting. Yeah, who if you had asked them to play Dungeons & Dragons would probably have laughed in your face. But when you pitch the idea of like, do you want to do this improvised Coen Brothers type movie? They had a fucking blast. When in actuality, they probably could have a blast with a game like Dungeons & Dragons too. It's just I mean, the yeah. surrounding it. I think, and that's weird. I still don't understand that. Because at the, at the core of it, Dungeons & Dragons is... A, basically just a system of rules and mechanics in which you can literally do anything the fuck that you want. Right. So, like, if you like improvised Coen Brothers movie board game time, yeah. you can DM improvised Coen Brothers movie world. For and then sure. that's, you find people who like Fiasco and you run that game. Right. And everything's, like, Coen Brothers E, and there's like a progression system, and you gain Coen Brothers characters type abilities, right? And then that's it. You're still it's that's it. You're just still doing the thing that you want to do. So, what do you have to bring into a campaign? Like, what do you have to put together to be able to run something like that? Um, to so my suggestions for getting a campaign started, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, Build, build a world, um, and think very broadly about it. So, like, you know, is it 
broken up into continents. Great. Um, how many of them are there? Wow. Four. Cool. Um, where Where is this thing going to start, right? Is it going to start in a small town down here? Great. So you, the the idea being, I think there's a lot of pressure to like, oh my God, I need like all this lore and I want to mm-hmm. make it feel alive and do do do. And at, at the end of the day, honestly, even even if you do a minimal amount of work DMing, 50% of that, your players are never going to discover. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess that's a really good point. Yeah. So start very narrow. Because you can make a really detailed story about one of those four continents, and then they, and then they don't even go even there. Make it. Yeah, they don't go there or care about it. Um, but it feels, at the same time, it does feel good uh, if you're able to be like, uh, you know, you see you, you, when they walk into the whatever the um, chancellor's room. And you're like, you enter this room, there's a, a large wooden oak table. It looks very heavy. It's finally finished. Um, uh, over the years, there have been gradual pockmarks or like uh, chips put in it from movement of wooden pieces. It looks like uh, he has maps spread out. You recognize a map on the far end of the wall is um, of our world, Serenia. It's got the uh, North Sapod continent up here. Um, and then it's kind of frayed along the bottom so the uh, small folks see kind of drifts off. In it. I'm just making this shit up. I know. So, it's like, amazing. They, it, so... <laughs> Like having the having those details in your back pocket can add uh, can add a lot of feeling or uh, interest to the gameplay. Uh-huh. But but at the end of the day, like knowing that like the Duke of uh, Gascon's brother is like secretly vying for the throne, but that shit's taking place like nine hundred miles from where the characters actually are, and has nothing to do with their story. That that's cool if you're writing a book, right? But, but the the potential problem is that you, as a DM, you're like, how do I make them go do oh. the thing? And that's the worst. You can't. Don't ever do that. <laughs> don't, don't ever do the that. The answer to that question is you can't. Don't, yeah, so you, don't expect that. You can. You can, but it won't be fun for them. And at the end of the day, if it's not fun for your players, it's not going to be fun for you. Then it was a failure. Yeah. it feels Nothing feels worse as a DM, than not being sure if your players had a good time or knowing for a fact that I didn't have a good time. Ugh. that It feels so bad. Do you Have you left sessions where you're like, that wasn't that fun? Yeah, absolutely. What makes it not that fun? Um, we did, there was a session, the second session I ran for um, the current group that I run, mm-hmm. um, they decided, I had sort of established this like rival um, merchant guy in the town that they were in mm-hmm. um, and they were like we're gonna go break into his house because we think uh, he was he was behind this like um, banditry thing okay. that he's using to sabotage our the person we work for S- and I sure. was like cool makes sense um, but they were like we're gonna go break into his house and find like see if we can find any documents and I was like okay um, and they broke into his house and uh I, I was like, there's no way that just like from what I had kind of like planned for the character, understood for the character, I was like, there's no way they're just going to like walk in and find stuff. Sure. Um, just like smoking guns lying around. Sure. Um, and I tried, I, I, I tried without, and I, this was my regret was not just saying like, guys, as a heads up, there might not be there's anything probably there. not going to be anything here. Um, it seems like this guy's good at covering his tracks. So your 
like, pretty good about doing that in general in is general, like trying to give a sense of you're cold. Don't well, chase this. Or <laughs> it's weird because I I I was walking a weird line where I, I and I'm also running for a lot of people who've never played the game before. So I also wanted to do that, but also have like a teaching moment of like mm. you can go anywhere or do anything, but don't expect the things that you do to always work or to have no consequences. Ooh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so like, so they they were like, cool, we're gonna bring in this house and do all this stuff. And I was like, I'd already kind of decided like, this guy's too careful for that. So I tried to sort of like nudge them uh, into being into giving up on it, but they ended up spending like the whole session uh, looking in around this, house. this dude's house. And it, they said they were like, it was fine. Like we just were breaking and entering and we had a good time but I was like uh, I don't know like I I felt bad because I was like I feel like I somehow set up this place and brought you to it and then there was no payoff right for it right um but 12 sessions later um I had them arrested and put on trial for breaking and entering into the Whoa. house. Oh, so that's great. It it became a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um at the time I was like I, everyone walked out of the like we were done for the day and as they were all walking out I was like man these people are all new to the game and they just wanted to like do a heist. Right. And, uh, now if I could go back on it I would have been like great how do I like yes and the heist. How do I like uh, activate the heist um, instead of like using it as this weird uh, world establishment thing where I was like this is I, my world has this this is the degree of realism to my world like the things you're looking for are always going to be like in the like out in the open right for you. yeah which one would hope you know even if you're playing some kind of open world video game for right. instance the first villain that you meet if you get a chance to go in their house you know it's not going to be the end game you know what i mean yeah. it's just going to be part of the story because like that's the way we structure stories that it doesn't just you can't just i mean you can but then I don't know. Then what? Right, right. <laughs> I guess that's where I'm coming from. Is I think talking video games, about it, video games have it a little easier too. I think because like you you try to you know if you're like I want to go over here and the video game's like ah eh, you can't like right. it's just like you can't do that. Um, whereas here like because I am capable unlike a machine, I am capable of creating like if they're like I want to go behind this door instead of. A computer program, which is like, but there's nothing there's behind nothing the door. Literally there. Um, I have to be like, or I should be like, of course there's something behind the door, or else why would there be a door here? That's so really interesting. You open the door. Yeah, there's a room there. It has nothing to fucking do with what you were <laughs> like looking for. But you want to, if you want to do something, absolutely you can do that thing. Right. But yeah. But I also, again, like, just because you want to do something or go somewhere or you have an idea, um. I can't set a precedent where, like, it's always going to be that easy. You know yeah, what I mean? that's a good point. So, but it still felt bad, and I wish I would have done it differently if I could go back and redo it. And do you think you would have... How do you think you would have done it differently? Uh, Just made that activity more interesting in its occurrence, or... 
I think I would have put I had because I had him away as well. Mm. I had the guy not present. Um, I think what I would have done was I would have had uh, them like they're like snooping around the house. They break a bunch of stuff. They find some things of value, um, but not really what they need or looking for. And then they finally break into the study or whatever. And uh, he slowly swivels on a chair, like petting a cat. It's like uh, a white cat with a, it's got like a strap around its neck. So there's a little tiara on it. <laughs> Love and that. he's like just petting it. Um, and he's like, well, well, uh, shall I arrest you now or Ooh. are you willing to do a favor for me? Nice. And now they're stuck either. I, I give them. So now there's a choice. Right. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, that's where the power comes from is I'm giving the players an opportunity to make what feels like a very important decision uh, as opposed to. They feel like they already made a decision, and then I. There aren't really stakes. After right. That. There were no. There was nothing to gain. So that's exactly why I asked. Is because I'm curious in to try to figure out what is the more interesting choice, I guess. And it's it's interesting that the more interesting choice is giving choice and providing a. A split in the road because that's kind of seems to be what a lot of the gameplay is. Yeah, and it it, it again that all depends on your players too. So sure. like uh, in the game I I'm in as a player, mm-hmm. we're very aggressively uh, <laughs> like our group dynamics are very strong and uh, we have we have aggressive character and group goals. Okay. So like every character has a thing that they're trying to accomplish. Uh-huh. And as a group we have an entirely separate like group goal that we're trying to accomplish. Sure. So the we don't need like forks in the road uh-huh. because we'll go we're going to go after our goals regardless. So um Tyler who's our DM is is very good about making the world pretty open. Uh, and we just like take, we find our ways. So we're like, well, we need to get here or we're trying to go here. Or I want to do this. Um, we're going to find a way to get there. Uh, and then he creates along the way. But um, the group, and you, it just comes down to knowing your group. The group I DM for um, does much better if I'm like, great. So uh, I'm going to put a character here who's going to make a request of them um, that flies directly in the face of the thing that they're already doing. Um, so now they feel like they have a branch of like three major choices they could make. Um, and then depending on which choice they make, they'll start continuing on this path and that'll present them with another fork. So it is, it's, uh, it is more like, uh, many roads, but like with clear structure, because I think, um, I've just noticed that they, as a group, they tend to feel lost if I'm like, the world is your sandbox, do whatever Mm. you want. Like that's, it's just not how they want to play. Yeah, um, so I feel like that would be hard for me to engage with. I think in most things, you know, it's like if your teacher tells you you can write an essay about anything, and you you're feel like, totally arrested by choice. Yeah, exactly. And especially with people but Like if there's who, too many things on a menu? Yes. What do you get at Cheesecake Factory? Fuck off. Like I don't know. Who knows? I went to Cheesecake Factory the first time maybe two weeks ago. And and were you shocked at the Bible that is I their couldn't, menu? I couldn't believe it. It's unreal. And so many things. They had, what was the one sauce that they put on f- everything? <laughs> it was like I a, don't remember because I also have only been there like once or twice, and in recent memory. 
but it blew my mind that their menu and I, so and different. It's not like like Italian food is like all Italian food. Cheesecake Factory was fucking all over yes, the place. Yes, you can get like a quesadilla or a bowl of pasta or a steak or, or like jambalaya. Yeah, it's like what is this it's, doing on this it menu? It seems like you could get literally anything at that restaurant. Which then you have to wonder like. Do you specialize in anything? Like, what is good here? Why is a place called Cheesecake Factory making their goal to produce every meal? I don't, and even if they only, (laughs) even if they only sold cheesecake, can we talk for a second about the name Cheesecake Factory? Because that sounds horrible. Like, would you ever, if if it was not a restaurant and it wasn't decorated like that, would you ever go and buy factory direct cheesecake? <laughs> like, why would you ever go there? That's such a good point. Krispy Kreme is not called Donut Factory, if, even though you no. do get to see those bad boys roll off the line. Yeah, and that's the best part. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. But they know not to call it Donut Factory. Because <laughs> guess what? I'm not fucking going to Donut Factory. <laughs> when Donut Factory is like, neon lights come on and they're like the conveyor belt is hot I'm not going everyone's like gross donut factory no I want to dunk them donuts you know what I'm saying (laughs) I'm not going there but Cheesecake Factory gets away with that shit and their menu still doesn't make sense (laughs) that place is baffling (laughs) it is baffling like the idea like if it Cheesecake in my mind is like carefully made and you put it on a thing and it's like on a tray and you put it in an Mm. oven and it's only one oven for one (laughs) cheesecake and you close it and you turn like a dial and a light comes on inside and the chef like watches wistfully uh, as it slowly comes to life and Cheesecake Factory to me conjures this image of like like squirty like I was going to I was making that sound in my head when you made it on my It's just like in a mold. <laughs> like they turn it. It's like a guy, like a guy with a gimp leg and like a like a greasy uh, like apron, uh, and he's got a hairnet and like yeah. he's sweating and smoking at the same time, yeah. <laughs> like pulling there's levers. Ashes in the cheesecake goo. Yeah, and there's it's all everything's brought on like fucking horseback. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I would put my group that I DM into the Cheesecake Factory as like a dungeon. <laughs> I literally was just going to ask you if you ever find yourself putting real life things oh, into yeah. your games. Um, it happens from time to time. All, all the people I play with are improvisers. Sure. In the, in the game I run, um, well, one of the games I run, the other one is pretty much all non-improvisers. Ooh. Um, and then in Tyler's game, the one I play in, we're also all performers Mm -hmm. and especially in tyler's game there are analogs for all kinds of people in real life really yeah in this character wise yeah or like we use names of people that we know for like shits and giggles that's so funny like my man rance rizzuto was in there for a little while that's good rance if you're listening You've been. You probably have never met me in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I had you a couple times as a sub at IO. (laughs) There we go. I think uh, I might have opened for Chaos Theory one time. (laughs) So that's how you know my voice. (laughs) It's a good name. Come on. Rance Rizzuto. Come on. If you didn't know him in real life, if I told you I knew someone named Rance Rizzuto, you'd be like, you are bullshit. That sounds like an item on the cheesecake. I was going to make the same joke. I can't believe you beat me to that joke. (laughs) 
Oh my god. I literally was gonna make that joke. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Do not go to Cheesecake Factory, guys. <laughs> Sit down and really think about that shit before you go. <laughs> I was like, man, I love I had not seen I have this extended family in Seattle and I hadn't seen them in a really long time and I was gonna be out there for a thing that I was doing with Cards Against Humanity and I let them know I was gonna be there and where I was staying and stuff and they don't live in Seattle proper, so they had to like come into the city and I kind of let them tell me where I should meet them. And, of course, we went to the fucking Cheesecake Factory. Uh, and I was like, no, I'm in a new city I never get to go to. And I have to eat at a Cheesecake Factory. Like, You know what was weird, though, was my meal was not bad. It was pretty decent, yeah. I think I had, weirdly, fish tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I had a spicy Cajun pasta. <laughs> I'm pretty sure ever, everyone else in my family got pasta dishes, and I was just like, I just flew across the country. I don't want to eat, like, a heaping, steaming bowl of pasta. My family split. I've never even considered that this would be considered a meal. Um, they split a chicken parmesan pizza, which sounds amazing, but let me describe it to you first oh, no. before you decide. Oh, no. It's a chicken... It's a chicken, and they pound, they tenderize it and pound it as flat <gasps> as it'll go, and they bread it and fry it. So the and chicken the is the crust. On. No, the chicken is the crust, no. and then it's sauce and cheese and like whatever toppings on so there. So it's like those uh, Taco Bell chicken things that they call chicken nachos. Yeah, or like a or like a nuggets. double down. Yeah. Oh boy. It was the du- am, it was the pizza of double downs. I am not okay with that. <laughs> I got to tell you, looked bad. <laughs> it looked bad. Um, I can't remember if I tried it or not. I'm really not okay with that. And I love the idea. So, okay. Are we, we're getting back on topic now. Yeah, I'm going to try. Okay, here we go. I'm but sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to derail. It's okay. You don't have to be sorry. I go on. I, I'm a tangential talker and I just, this I is going to happen. I am too. And the show has had to force me to get away from that or to know when i can't keep talking about cheesecake factory because we could easily fill maybe we should just make this the cheesecake factory episode (laughs) up to you up to you i I do think we're both experts on the topic we should uh if you'll have me back we should do an episode on like shitty chain restaurants (laughs) oh i that would be fun because in my hometown the only place to go is Applebee's. There you go. So I'm very familiar with the Applebee's menu. When I was on tour, we ate almost. Oh. Ex- we, we we ate. I ate in. I've eaten in probably thirty percent of the Applebee's in the continental <laughs> United States <laughs> at this point. Well, there's some places where you go and it's just the only bar open at a after a certain time. Like, yeah, or like the only menu that you trust. Yo, that's like a good you know you know there's gonna the quality food isn't gonna be stellar, but you also know what quality to expect which is pretty big that is at its core the success of chain restaurants that's true is that you can travel and you know that you're gonna eat mcdonald's you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you know exactly what mcdonald's tastes like it's gonna look and taste the same here as it will in Mm -hmm. anywhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that is you know what we're always fighting against is (laughs) the comfortable nature of knowing exactly what 
an apple chimichanga is going to taste like. That sounds bad. <laughs> it's uh, like a cheesecake egg roll dessert. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> How into minutia do people get in the games that you play? Was going to be my question. In the games that I play? Mm-hmm. Um, not... It will define minutia because I think mechanically there the rules are very it's in, it's interesting I think this edition of Dungeons and Dragons is very forgiving um, and which is interesting for new player fifth, fifth edition that's what I thought um, or it's called Five E uh, if you want to like really break it down it's more like the eighth Whoa. edition of D and D because there were like three point three three point five mm. um, four point five and then if you're considering AD and D, but whatever. That's like, are we getting to minutia right now? Mm-hmm. Seems like we are. Um, <laughs> so there's, we are, but it's there's room for on it. topic minutia. That's true. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? I guess can you clarify the question? A I little think more? the only reason I'm inspired to ask this question is because we so tediously described making a chicken parmesan pizza. Are there times in games where you are describing? the specific way that you have to get into a room or a specific thing you have to do to accomplish a goal. I guess what I'm looking for is what does gameplay typically look like? How broad or small does it get? Um, so, it, again, this depends very heavily on what your DM style is like. Um, something I've learned, and t- the game I play in and the game I run are both set in the same world. So Tyler and I actually share, we're basically co-DMing a shared like environment. That's cool. Um, yeah, and the campaigns were happening simultaneously for a while, but in like Whoa. different parts of the world. Weird. Um, we have are a podcast you... about it. Uh, I I'll, knew you I'll, had I'll drop a it podcast. later. Yes, please. I'll, I'll drop the name that's later what, that's what if this anyone's should be interested. For. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so in terms of diving into the minutia of it, um, I've personally found, and this is a, a personal preference for me, I tend to avoid playing with traps um, or at least traditional traps, which is like you step on a floor panel and it gives out and you fall or whatever. Okay, um, okay. And the, the reason for that is y- your players, you, you are the game when you're dungeon mastering. So especially if you're running a theater of the mind style game where everything, there's not like a whole lot of props or like a battle map or people play with miniatures and stuff. And I think that's awesome. Um, I don't have the money for that, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, but I also like the theater of the mind style where everyone's like imagining in a room together. So basically just everybody has a notebook, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually brought my character sheet yes. in case you wanted to see it. Sure. So this is my person on in two In the game pages. that you play? In the game that I play. Her name is Rake. How do you say her last name? Paimon. Okay. She's a... She's a tiefling. Tiefling is what I was going to say, but I wasn't sure that was right. Ooh, a bard. Uh Okay. That's her class. Yeah, that's her class. Um, I wanted to play a human uh, before people listening (laughs) are like, oh, great, another like tiefling whatever. Uh, (laughs) But I wanted to play a human, but the way the setting works for Tyler's side of the campaign, there aren't any there. Oh. So I had I basically was forced out of my comfort zone, and I'm now playing a what's called an exotic race. Whoa! Um, a tiefling is basically a person um, who has demons in their bloodline. So I look like like I have horns 
and like I'm bald and I have yellowy eyes and stuff. And you're lawful evil. I am lawful evil. I knew what L like L E meant. Yeah. Under alignment. Which is generally discouraged playing evil characters. But um like dri- having your having a party force person be evil. Yeah, or ha- yeah, having players play characters who are evil characters um is generally discouraged because I think um the vast majority of the time uh there's an assumption that evil means that you get to stab your fellow party members in the back right. or that you don't give a shit about them. Right. Um, and I think it's a cool role-playing challenge to play someone who is evil but still has interpersonal like relationships and is able to maintain those. <laughs> That's really cool. Do so, you find that it helps to be a lawful evil as a result of that, that you still would align to rules? Yeah, I think playing a chaotic evil character, unless it's an evil campaign, playing a chaotic evil character and having actually playing to that and then still maintaining party relationships is probably not possible sounds hard i I can't imagine it working man this is that feels like a really fascinating to me thought about how characters in general in fiction work Mm -hmm. you know because i've been thinking a lot about how comedy specifically but really a lot of TV and film seems to be interested in characters who who don't have the best of intentions. Uh, You know, even just on a surface level, a show like Broad City, Mm -hmm. uh, the Alana character especially, is a relatively selfish, like, bacchanalic type of, you know, pleasure seeker and not necessarily doing good all of the time mm-hmm. but we still are able to you know relate to that character and laugh at it and want her to succeed in certain ways yeah and that kind of archetype seems to be popular in like I said especially comedy right now oh yeah and because it's fun to watch right it isn't fun usually to try to interact with right and you see you know Chris Gethard's character within the same show is this guy who just wants to do his job and have his employees do their jobs because he plays her boss. But she's a nightmare of an employee. Like, she is a terrible employee. And in real life, that person, if they were your coworker, you would not like having to work with them. No, of because course not. The, yeah, so it's... But I think that they do a good job of showing you that. Like, there's a coworker there who is keeping a compendium of things that she's done at the job that are insane. And then on her last day, she leads everyone that they work with in a sister act type number of celebration of her being fired. And that's hilarious. Like, it totally pays off because they're willing to give this kind of... I wouldn't say she's chaotic evil if we're really trying to define what that character is. No. But it's still not necessarily a, you know, a good quote unquote character and archetype. Right. Yeah, that's hard. And that's hard because it's really hard to play. Right. Um, Well, actually, that's not true. Chaotic evil can be very easy to play. Right. Um, It can be very hard to play with. Yes. So it's generally discouraged um, to go down the evil side of the... That makes sense. Alignment tree. But the other thing is like, especially in fifth edition, um, alignment doesn't really do anything. Hmm. Like there's, so, and I think they use it as a jump start 
for uh, trying to hit the ignition on people who might not be, especially people who don't have a theater background or anything, right. who are not used to playing uh, against type. Yeah. Um, so they have fields on the character sheet where you're like, you know, pick a personality trait and pick a flaw and pick a bond. And if you don't want to, if you don't know what that means or what you want to do, mm-hmm. you can roll on a table and we'll give you one. Um, so these are all things that they are trying to do to kind of kickstart you thinking about how a character would act that is different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if you have a strong sense of role play or if you have a strong sense of like social skill at the table, you can pretty much ignore all you that shit. You don't necessarily have to no. be super wary of your owner. Not at all. Because it, it doesn't really do anything. Right. There's it, no, like, if I if I do something good, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't, there, no one's going to be like, hey, um, can you explain to me what your long-term goals are? Because it doesn't really make sense for your lawful evil <laughs> character to, like, save this town of people. And then I have to be like, well, I'm trying to convince them over time to worship the demon that I worship. Right. Like, no one's going to, like, It has more me. to do to color what your goal is than necessarily who yeah. your character is. Uh, it's really, it doesn't matter. Like, hmm. in, in a nutshell, what I'll say about alignment in 5th edition is that it doesn't matter. Um, play, play to the moment and don't play to like alignment that's super that's a super boring way to play the game <laughs> that's but that's an interesting note you know for as someone who plays the game a lot and someone like myself who only knows these like surface level things of, i was like oh bard got it you know person who plays music <laughs> she doesn't play music interesting yeah well then what about her makes her a bard um, so she is basically a missionary. So I've reflavored uh, a lot of her mechanics to be like uh, aimed at proselytizing more okay. than like entertaining. Interesting. So she gives inspiration by like um, like convincing people that they're being guided by like supernatural forces. Uh, and her magic is like um, her basically bending... Because the way bard magic usually works is they're they're playing music or using sound waves to like create effects. Um, so she's basically doing the same thing, like but a siren with like, type situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What are the classes? So there are a bunch of classes um, in the player handbook. Um, there's, let's see here, barbarian, bard, druid, or hold on, I was trying to do the alphabetic order, cleric. Druid, um, fighter, um, let's see, what's next? Monk, paladin, ranger, rogue, sorcerer, warlock, wizard. Did I miss any? I don't think so. Yeah, there we go. That's so, it's so funny to hear things differentiated like rogue and ranger and wizard and warlock when in you know most of popular culture those are synonymous in interchangeable terms (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting too how the book kind of breaks down um what those differences are and mechanic and the important thing mechanically what those differences are right Right. so like what uh abilities or spells you have access to as a wizard that you do not have access to as a sorcerer which are um so for so the wizard spell list is the biggest in the game, um, and the difference between wizard and sorcerer uh, on a face value level is that a wizard spends their basically their whole life 
learning magic and it, it takes an intellectual approach to like understanding how magic works and how to cast spells. Uh -huh. And a sorcerer basically wakes up one day and ha either has magic that they've inherited in their bloodline or from exposure to some effect, they gain magical abilities. Whoa. So they cast... Um, their 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 abilities that they cast from are totally different. So a wizard's casting from their intelligence because it's things that they've learned oh, and known. Oh, so they have very high intelligence numbers. Yes, um, and they they cast out of a book. They literally write their spells down in a book. Wow. And cast from them. And and sorcerers cast from their charisma because they're casting. They're using magic from sheer force of will. Interesting. Um, so the difference is sorcerers learn to manipulate specific spells, and those are the spells they know. And a wizard can technically learn an unlimited number of spells wow. if they can find them and study them. Whoa. So there might be more like homework involved, literally. Like someone, would someone like prepare skills to have if there's a certain way they want to travel through that game? Yeah, prepare is a, a super interesting word because it's literally the mechanic that's listed in the book for how wizards Oh my gosh, spells. prepare. Yeah, so a wizard uh, tends to end up knowing way more spells than they could possibly use in a day. Mm -hmm. um, so what they do mechanically for that um, is at the beginning. So as a sorcerer, you know eight spells. Um, and as a wizard, you maybe have 12 spells in your book. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the beginning of the day when you wake up, you, you can spend 10 minutes at, at, in character or whatever, and usually you skip this. Um, it's just assumed that you do it and right. you do this on your own. Right. But you prepare your spells. You have a number of spells that you can have, quote unquote, prepared. And you prepare those spells for the day. So you're like, I think we're going to fight a big monster today. Right. So you're like, okay, I'm going to take my big damage spells and I'm going to take blindness because I think I'm going to want to make something unable to see. Wow. Uh, and I'm going to take uh, Misty Step because I'm probably going to want to disappear and reappear somewhere else to escape. Oh my um, gosh. So you're kind of preparing from your long list, uh, your list that you can cast for the day based on what you think is going to happen that day. How would that translate to other classes gameplay? Um, so there other classes also, there are prepared spellcasters and uh, like innate spellcasters. Mm -hmm. Bard is like a sorcerer in that um, the second page here mm -hmm. is the spells that I know. And oh. I don't have to prepare them. I know them, and I can you cast them. can use them, them anytime. Um, if I were playing a druid or a cleric, um, I would need to prepare off the spell lists. Um, unlike wizard, who needs to go out and find their spells or like learn them by leveling up, druid and cleric know all of the druid and cleric spells that exist. They oh. know them all, but wow. they only have a set number that they can prepare each day. So there is, so it translates in that pretty much any class has, I guess my question is like then what is the question mark for say the barbarian? Mm -hmm. You know, what did they? So there's, yeah, there's like class, things that define the class. Right. right. Um, so barbarians are, they're just big old buckets of pain. Yeah. Um, they generally have the highest uh, hit points. Um, and the most resistance to damage, mm -hmm. so they're going to be tanking a lot. Mm -hmm. They're they have their primary ability is called rage, <laughs> and they literally blah, like go nuts um, or however you want to flavor it. But and again, that's all up to you, right? Right. Like how you want to play the character. Right. Um, they go into a rage, um, and they run at things and they beat them up until they're dead, uh, and that's what they do. <laughs> 
So there wouldn't necessarily be a translation of, okay, you know, you are playing the barbarian today. What do you do at the beginning of your day? Go. You can't really. Not really. They like, don't have to do that. That's interesting. But, and you know, a bard doesn't have to do that either. But when it actually comes to the battle, they're the first one that is in the action. Probably. Yeah, hopefully. Right, hopefully. right, right. Yeah, you want the barb in there first. Cool. So I guess that was, that to me kind of answers the question of like, what does gameplay look like is kind of like, uh, this is a, a magic term, but resolving everyone's uh, abilities and... Yeah, I mean... What I mean, it's weird. It depends. It really, really. De- all of my answers are going to start with it depends. Right, um, right. The, so, well, to, okay. So to backtrack for like a split second, mm-hmm. um, to your minutia, minutia question. Mm-hmm. Um, the players are the players only see the game through what you tell them. So, which is why I mean that comment about traps because oh right if if they're like great we walk into the room, um, it it's up to me as a DM. To be like, do you get a chance to notice the traps or not? And that's not oh, fun. Like, sure. where where you walking into a room that looks suspicious, like you looking around here, I could spend the next twenty minutes describing the details of the room and still miss something that you I listening saw. that you can see that our listeners cannot see. Right. Right. Um. So if I'm describing the room, I I need to give the players the benefit of the doubt that their characters are not going to miss anything that their characters would be interested in. That's interesting. So if their characters are looking for something or are cautiously exploring a dungeon, it feels shitty to be like, haha, you step on a trap because you, the player, weren't aware of it. Right. When, when um, ostensibly the character is fucking standing right in front of it. Right. Um, there's Then when there's probably a class who... You know, Sherlock Holmes is the second they walk into the room and takes right. in every detail. And just because you didn't give that character the ability to do that, right? You, it would be kind of a lame move to like pull that rug out. Exactly. And when there, and especially when there's five people at the table, you don't have you 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 just you want to keep the game moving enough that you don't have time for everyone to be like, okay, my character is going to take five steps to the left, and right. do that. unless you're playing a very tactical game, which is totally possible. Right. Sure. Um, so, to go back to that, uh, to to use that as a springboard into what we're talking about, what the game looks like, mm-hmm. just uh, just anything. couldn't be couldn't be anything, right? Like, so <laughs> we we could have a moment where, uh, what, for example, in the trial that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, uh, the first person to start defending themselves uh, from my party started talking and they were like, "Well, Yana, may I approach?" The-? They started of doing course. like classic old timey. Yeah. So the lawyer, so we established it as canon in this kingdom that they're in that uh, it's tradition, sort of like how barristers in Britain wear wigs and uh, robes, which seems <laughs> stupid on its face. Right. Um, yeah. That they it's still canon. Do they that. still, uh, by the way, not a joke. They still they fucking do that. Still Why? Do that. Why are they dressing up like that? I met a I woman know. who is a lawyer in the US, but she originally passed the bar in the UK or like additionally passed the bar in the and UK. And there's like weird court yeah. customs there. And she has like a wig and shit that she has to wear if she ever is a barrister. That is so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> it's the dumbest. So so we just made it canon. I was like, great, this is a thing now. Be forewarned that you are your characters are aware. 
it is customary to adopt the what is called the dialect of court. <laughs> so they they and we actually oh we recorded this session. We recorded the session, so it's on my podcast. That's great. Um, but uh, they spent most of the session was just them talking. Like that was it. It was just them talking in old in like southern lawyer uh-huh. accents uh-huh. Um, and trying to like beguile the the court and like uh use loopholes on the judge and like all kinds of stuff that's so, so that's what funny. that session looked like that's great but there were other sessions where it was all abilities right like so we're in a big fight that lasted literally the entire session um and it's all about like figuring out where people are moving and what abilities they're using and how those things resolve um, and stuff like that. How do you keep track of stuff like that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It is, that's, that is the hardest part of DMing. Um, is, is keeping is track of stuff. What just happened. And- yeah, and even keeping track of stuff in general. Mm-hmm. Like things because things that happened six sessions ago can suddenly become important again and that's kind of where i'm coming from is like you said it was 12 sessions before you even got them to court for breaking and entering yeah because they went to a different town and it took some time to track them down oh i see what inspired you to bring back that detail um i don't remember oh they were hanging out they were hanging out in this town kind of like waiting for some stuff, and they had kind of cut and run from the town they had originally started in, Mm -hmm. where they broke into that guy's house, Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing really came of it, and uh, I had uh, established that he was kind of a powerful guy, um, so I figured I would have him track them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had actually started gaining notoriety in the town they were in now for being oh. like heroes. <laughs> so I was like, great. As like as they got more so far, well known. this is yeah. So far, this has been only bonuses, right? Because people like you, mm-hmm. um, and they're coming to rely on you for like doing good. Um, but now that your names are spreading around, this guy knows exactly where you are. That's really interesting. I know earlier you said how do I yes and better this thought of these people breaking into the house? And I know that it's popular in the, I know in the newest UCB improv manual, they kind of replace yes and with the idea of if then. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a little bit more one-to-one here in the sense that, if we have built up a certain amount of notoriety in this town next door, then what thing from our past haunts us? You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's my favorite way to DM. Is like the party wants to do this thing, cool, but then what happens? Like what what are the what are the results of that thing? Um, based on what and and it snowballs right. So based on like all the things I've established so far. Um, does the thing that they're doing affect any of this? Yes, no, no, yes, 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 no, right? How? This way, this way, this way, nothing, this way, nothing, right? What do you think it is about your nature that has made you want to do that literally since you were a child? You know, what made you want to be the weather and the, like, (laughs) people running Jurassic Park and stuff like that? Um, I think it ties to some kind of weird human instinct for storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh... Also, just my draw to things creative. Um, there's nothing 
playing is super fun. Mm -hmm. Playing is very, very fun. Um, DMing can be extremely satisfying. Ooh, that's an interesting differentiation. Yes. Um, playing is super fun. Uh, you pack up and you're, you're like, wow, that was awesome. I can't wait to see what happens next week. Uh, and you pack up and you go. Um, DMing, you make a thing or you create a thing um, and then you watch people play with your thing. Yeah. Uh, and like it, hopefully. Yeah. And that feels really, it's a, diff a completely different feeling. For sure. Than fun, than regular fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, uh, you, the other end of it is that they also, because you are, there's a lot of stuff required from you as a DM. Mm -hmm. When your players want to do things or like do things that you hadn't anticipated or whatever, you literally create magic out of thin air. Uh, and there's a joy, that like weird joy of like deceiving people kind of also comes into because it. Because no one really knows what you already had planned and what you didn't. Mm -mm. I put it, you put up the screen and for, and, and that's the illusion of the screen that I love is supposedly behind this thing is everything. Right. All possibilities are right here. Right. Um, and the things that I don't know, I roll a die and they're like, ah, oh, fuck, whatever that number means, that's what's going to happen, right? Um, and sometimes I roll dice and I'm stalling. Like, <laughs> it's like, so I'm funny. like, you want to do what? All right, hold on, let me check something. And I shuffle some, shuffle <laughs> some papers. I, I'm like, hold on a second. And I got I to lean down. I'm like, hey, this is in my other notebook. <laughs> And they're like, they're like, oh my God, there's another notebook. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, okay. You just pulled out so many dice. Oh so, my God. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta. Hold on a second. You said you want to scale the side of the building. Uh huh. Um, and you're, do you have dark vision? Can you see in the dark? Um, um, yeah, yeah. It's you on can. my great. abilities. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Okay. As you attempt to scale the side of the building, <laughs> you're confronted with a sight you haven't seen in five years. <laughs> Peering down from the top of the tower as you are whirling your uh, grappling hook in an attempt to sling up, before you get a chance to see it, you lock eyes with your sister, Margaret. <laughs> and for a second, you flash back to your memory as a 22-year-old elf of Margaret slipping from your grasp and falling 500 feet to your death. And for a moment, the whole world blurs away. And all you can wonder is what on earth... <laughs> she is doing here and why she is looking at you with more malevolence than anything has ever looked at you with in its life. Roll initiative. And everyone's like, what? And you're like, holy shit, I just made all of that up and I have no idea what's going on. Um, and then that's, like, that's, that's also, that's equally fun is like, I don't know what's going on. They could do anything. Um, and that's where you play as a DM. That's where you get to play the game is mm -hmm. where they start asking questions or they more often than not where it happens is is like you're walking down the street and there's a hubbub. It's like general rabble, rabble, rabble. And there's a guy selling peanuts and there's a, and there's um, a long horse stall with horses eating out. And they're like, whoa, 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 back up. Who's selling peanuts? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. There's a fucking, there's just a, it's not important. So the horses, and they're like, no, 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 we're going to talk to Peanut Guy. Right. And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why. Um, and they walk over and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this guy super annoying so they don't do this because right. I have nothing. So they're like, what's up, Peanut Man? We'll take some peanuts. And I'm like, oh, well, I have some peanuts for you. And they're like, we love this man. We're going to take him with us on all of our adventures. <laughs> and then I'm like, no. <laughs> 
and then that's that happens. And it forces you to give the fucking peanut guy a backstory. Yeah, so they're like, who is the? Holy in a game shit. I ran recently, um, they they uh, they did this thing where they were attacking a keep because we were playing a mon. I, I decided to run a, a brief monster campaign where everyone had to be monsters, and we played the flip side of it. So they're attacking like innocent places and like being monster cool. doing monster shit so that is like a you mentioned earlier unless you're doing an evil campaign mm-hmm. you could also do a monster campaign right and you're just giving a different foundation for the char- the actors to be exactly within. um and they they really leaned into like gleefully breaking and destroying like humans <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, and Come I was on. like, cool. I mean, yeah, that's what I guess I asked you to do. Right. Um, so they, they established this trope where if they were about to kill someone who even remotely had a distinct identity, they would ask questions about that person. <laughs> so it'd be like, um, who is this? And I'd be like, uh, this is Brandere, the guard. Uh, he's human. He's five foot five. He has uh, like a weird tattoo wrapping from under his right eye down to his chin. Um, and he's missing uh, part of his nose. Looks like a scar there. Um, and they're like, cool. Does he have any family members? And then I'm like, fuck, I, yeah. So <laughs> they want to know like what his dreams were and like all kinds of shit. And then I'm, I'm like, so I tell them all this stuff and he's like a well-rounded, like, I want to play this guy now. Like he's got a family and a history uh-huh. and they're like, sweet. Um, and I'm like, great. So what do you want to do? And they're like, we cut his throat. <laughs> That's so funny. And that's it. But again, like that's the game they wanted to play. Right. So then I am the game. That's, that's that game. So fun. Where do you get inspirations for that kind of creation? Like where does that shit come from? I know you said you it's, you know, you're nerdy. You had an inclination for storytelling to begin with, but where do the stories come from? You ready? All right. Um, give me a name, any name. Oh, um, Ruxy Cantier. Ruxy Cantier. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Ruxy? Like a dwarf or an elf? Uh, or she would person? probably be like a cleric. She's like a cleric. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so you are Druxy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're going to, you're going to wake up, uh, as you normally do, uh, in an inn that you frequent called the Bird and Barrel. You're on the second floor, and um, you're just waking up. The sun is peeking in through the windows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as you wake up, you, uh, you're coming off of a good dream, so you're feeling pretty good. But you're instantly reminded of a super tedious, boring, annoying task that you have to do today. And it's going to take up most of your time. What's that task? <sighs> Cleaning the... Where did you say I live? Huh? You're in an inn, an inn. inn called the Bird I, I have to clean the inn. Great, yeah. You have to clean the inn. And um, the reason for that is that you upset the barkeep uh, and you're basically like paying off your time, right? Right. Um, can you describe the barkeep for us? Oh, it's a, a very petite woman mm-hmm. who has a personality that she overcompensates for her small size. Mm-hmm. So she, as soon as anyone steps out of line, she probably gives out harsher, uh, you know, punishments than what what the what person would normally did deserved. be. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um. And she's so she's small. Mm-hmm. Um. What else about her physical appearance is interesting to your character? Uh, she only has one eye, just in the middle of her face. Yep. Yeah. She's a cyclopic. 
tiny person. Mm-hmm. Anything else? She has uh, her hair is longer than she is tall. Ah, so. <laughs> it just drags kind uh-huh. of behind her on the ground as she walks. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so you wake up, you roll out of bed with like a little bit of a groan. Um, you pick at the remnants of your meal from the night before on your bedstand. What did you have last night? Uh, lamb. Lamb. Yeah, it's just like little chunks of mutton that are sort of been pushed around and left on the plate. Um, and you get dressed, uh, fully dressed. What does your character look like? Oh, she wears like a lot of different patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, she not afraid to mix patterns. Yeah, just violently clashing. Yeah, patterns. But to her, she doesn't see it as clashing. No, no. Um, but to the exterior eye, yes, clashing. Yes, great. Um, so uh, you're standing in a, a room, like I said, it's a pretty small uh, single room for an inn. Um, floors of wooden, second floor. Um, you creak open the door. The latch always sticks on your way out, but you creak it open and you walk into the hallway. And now what do you do? What does the hallway look like? Uh, it's pretty dimly lit. You can tell it's not super clean, not looking forward to trying to clean it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, uh, instinctively sort of like mutter under your breath about the situation because you know you have to clean this hallway. Um, what's your like go-to character phrase? <sighs> not again. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> um, so now where do you go? What's your first step in cleaning the inn? Gotta go to the broom closet. And where's that? It's on the bottom floor behind the bar. Great. And it's this is the part you're looking forward to least because you remember from the night before um, that a bunch of rowdy people have come to the inn and have just been taking up the common area and stinking it up and drinking the whole time, <laughs> right? Um, and there's one guy in particular that's always trying to pick shit with you. Uh, uh, what's he like? Oh, he's so full of himself that he lacks self-awareness. Great. Um, as you go down the stairs towards the first floor, you see him there, and it's obvious that he's been waiting for you. Ugh. So that's how, like, we just played, like, <laughs> 10 minutes of a game. Yeah. Um, and something that I enjoyed doing a lot, and the reason I did this instead of answering your question um, is— I loved that. You should not feel— Oh, good. I'm glad. Trepidatious about um, that. But I, I push, and I encourage any DMs listening to do this as often as possible. I pushed uh, creative— aspects of the game onto you yeah um and i think giving giving the players an in to help build the world mm-hmm. is the easiest way to a get them invested in the world mm-hmm. um because just coming in again with like a boatload of lore and like backstory and stuff mm-hmm. is hard it's a history textbook you're sure. asking them to play a history textbook and no one wants to do that Absolutely but letting not. them get in on the creative aspect of it is not only fun um, but it's giving me things to play with, right? Sure, absolutely. So now I have, you created for me petite, angry, Napoleonic complex Cyclops lady. Right. And I can yeah. play with her forever. She's the best. Yeah. What a cool character. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, and this guy, this like swagger douchebag guy, right. I can play him, right? Yeah. Um, and now that you gave me a goal, it's your goal. You have to clean the place. Uh, I didn't put that on you. Right. But I can put obstacles in your way or give you an out, right? If a mysterious guy comes and he's like, uh, I can magically play, make this place clean in an instant right. if you'll go to lunch with me. <laughs> and then now, right? Like now you're That's like, great. is it worth it? Um, so putting, putting uh, or like opening the door for you to come in, I think is, um, that's my answer to so how that works. It comes from a lot of love of collaborating. Yeah. Is it's, what I would and it, assess that. To go back to improv, right? It's this idea of like 
yeah, create if you're the kind of DM who creates from behind a screen and you're trying to do it all, mm-hmm. that's really hard. Right. Um, and that's why that sounds so hard. But hopefully if your players are engaged and they have like their um they they take the initiative, right, you can follow that. And if they don't, um You've never. You said you've never played before. Not D and D. No. You just did. Uh, <laughs> like I coaxed. I like just whether I don't. I don't know. And we don't know what kind of player you are. Right. Um. If you're like a heavy like I know what I'm doing and I want to go do it and I have all these ideas and I want to contribute is fine. If you're more passive like I want to be part of a story and I want to know what my story is. Yeah. That's I feel like also fine. I would be arrested by choice. Ironically, I just don't think I, I don't know. I like to think that I make choices well when I improvise, but I think in life and often oh, no. in games, I am in like life. arrested by choice. Yeah. I just don't like, oftentimes it comes from, I think a lot of people are arrested by choice because they're anxious of what the choice will mean in the end. And I think mine is almost the opposite i'm getting too i'm talking too much about myself but i know i want to know it is that like we all want to know sometimes i don't care like sometimes i just don't care about what the outcome will be so like i don't want to decide what to have for dinner because i don't care yeah because i'm you going just want to eat dinner to be either your, a burrito yeah. or a salad and i i will have eaten food and i don't care enough to make the choice you know what i mean yeah totally so i guess i want to ask I would absolutely like to, and we'll close with some thoughts on was it how fun? This oh, this has been fantastic. I've loved Do it so like much. Your character? I'm so my character <laughs> that I just created in, yeah. in the campaign that you started. Yeah, that's right. I do. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we could pursue <laughs> if you're interested. Like it's as easy as that. What uh, do you feel like? There's anything else that you'd absolutely be remiss to not mention as a part of this conversation? Um. I know we could spend so much more time talking. I know. I know. Could. I know it. Um, I guess, in a nutshell, I would say the the idea of people being um, intimidated or otherwise otherwise um, convinced that Dungeons and Dragons is not for them. Uh, I would say not true. Uh, it's it's because. Ideally, and if you get together with the right people, hopefully your friends, mm-hmm. um, it, the game is literally anything you want it to be, and it's you guys hanging out and like creating a cool story together and getting to do cool shit and having everyone be like, "Yeah, you do do that thing," like, and nothing feels better than that. That's really fun. Um, and on the flip side of that, I will say, uh, DMing. Then once you start playing, DMing will see seem very intimidating and hard and strange Hmm. um and to that i will say not so at all um and the the key to that is just remembering that you don't have to do it all you have like three to six other people at the table it's like you said i contributed you uh forced me to contribute more to the story but also within that get so much to work with and you know build upon and not it doesn't necessarily put the onus on the players all yeah the time yeah and it that it's about it's about fun at the table all the prep in the world um in terms of dming all the prep in the world uh is great but at the end of the day if you can't translate your lore and your prep and your like session planning 
to people enjoying themselves in the room, then drop all that shit <laughs> and just listen to the room and and try to like give them or build the thing that they clearly want to play. Huh. Um, because at the end of the day, you'll get much more satisfaction out of people enjoying themselves at your table than you will with like people being impressed or interested in your like amazing story arc that you've right. cooked up. Right, sure. Oh. And I guess I think that plays nicely into the last question that I'll pose, which is something we've kind of danced around and that I'm excited to kind of put a button on with you, is that how do you feel like your love of D&D has influenced you creatively and kind of your your life moving through it? Um, I, It's weird. I feel like... It's been maybe the other way around. And that's, I was thinking that as I asked the question. So it's funny that you say that. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, well, honing... maybe we can speak to it the other way around even. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm sure it goes both ways. It's a street that goes both ways, but, um, or two, a two way street is the phrase I'm looking for. <laughs> a street that goes both ways. It's a street that goes all ways. It's <laughs> not a street, it's just an open field. <laughs> um, it's, you know, those streets around the Champs Elysees. <laughs> that one, what's that one? It just goes, the Arc de Triomphe is in the middle. Uh, but um, there's a, I, I think, an element of like that as I've sort of dive deeper into and made a uh, career question mark you have a career you a career you have a career in comedy out of yeah uh, i guess um out of comedy and like writing and stuff Mm -hmm. um that that has made me a better dm cool um and i think uh more than creative skills because i don't I, i don't think you have to be creative or a creative type or identify or as an like artist you are that. yes yeah, identify to, to as play, that uh, to play the game and enjoy it and be awesome at it um i think just developing general communication skills is hmm. like like being able to listen yeah is gonna kick your game up from uh, a, a solid seven to a ten because if you can if you hear and listen to the things that other players at the table are doing without just waiting for your go right um and you're like Oh wow, that's a really interesting thing, or like a tiny detail that that person just right. dropped. Right. If you I can remember that, that someone like, mentions their sister, right? You know, exactly. In the first day of the campaign, then seven weeks later, and you throw in that sister thing, and people, it'll fucking blow people's minds. Yeah, it'll be yeah. great. Uh, right. And you, you know, you have a thing that you can get, like you can give that person to react to at any time. To um, me, that's so one to one to comedy and, and improv. It really is, and like like Jeff uh, Murdoch, I play with, um, and his character was scarred in a fire, so he's terrified of flames. So we we like do fire stuff in front of him when we want him to like have a reaction, right? Um, because he mentioned that as a detail about himself, and right. we all knew that, and now it's like something we can play with. That's amazing. Um, so just developing skills like that, and like. It, it can really change the way that you play. And then that, of course, can change the way that you do other things. So, Yeah, it's so, f- man, it's so funny that you said it might be the other way around because midway through the question, I was like, well, his life as an improviser has kind of influenced the way that he plays D&D. I think so. So I guess I would love to figure out a way to ask that me? question. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> I, I my, like my goal coming into this podcast was, was to, to have you be like, I I don't know what it, when when are your sessions? Uh, so <laughs> I will play D and D with you. I don't Sweet. know if I can agree to do that anytime soon. I understand. It makes me anxious to agree to do that anytime soon because I just have a very busy couple weeks. I totally but understand. But I, I want to do this with you. So cool. that's why I'm being open about Got this. Got him, folks. <laughs> you heard it first. Especially, I mean, I truly think that Jeff Murdoch is one of the funniest people I've ever met. So if I get to like sit in a room and dick around playing this game with Jeff Murdoch, that sounds very enticing to he me. He is funny as shit. What makes you be able to follow the most interesting detail in an improv show in a D&D campaign? Um, you are a fantastic improviser. It is a joy to watch you improvise. Right, okay. I know that you will hate hearing me say this, but I have. it has to be said in the context of this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I'll just stick to the question, I think. Sure. Um, you can, but I had to throw that in there. What, mm, hmm, what makes... How, what do I decide is the most How are you detail? drawn to the most interesting detail? What is it that makes you chase a detail? Uh, I think I think um, people's strengths in improvising, uh, talking purely about improv here sure. um, and not Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Um, I think people's strengths in improvising come from a variety of different places, and I think that's what makes uh, the art form so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, to me anyway uh you know people peep a lot of people are empathic and they are capable of accessing and playing with like super awesome emotional ranges and like tapping into Man. that sort of sense yes that's a great point um, i've described an improviser before as playing like a raw nerve yeah um and that's fascinating and it's an improviser that i love yeah. watching that it's those are super satisfying yeah um Especially if they can evoke audience reactions other than just laughter. Yes. Like improv scenes that make people like, oh, or, yes. like, or like feel sad. Like those are good. Yes. Um, but so there's that. There's like people who play, uh, who can slide into characters and you're like, this is not the person anymore. Right. Like who is this fucking person? This right. is someone totally different. Um, there's people who, like there's just so many different ways to access it. Um, I think what... Uh, at least my primary improv approach Strength. or ability sure. uh, is uh, I have, I think, a keen eye for patterns um, and recognizing sort of where, like a progression of things or where things can go. And especially when something seems out of pattern and then being able to like laser focus on that and like dive into it. So um, I think that's the answer to that is something something that like I'm and maybe the, actually this does tie back to D&D because uh, something that uh, I think I'm good at improviser wise is early on in a scene or in a show establishing like okay, so based on this and this and this, these are the rules of the world that this improv yes. thing is taking place in. Right. Um, so when something comes up that's like, well, we haven't done this one yet, uh, or something's happening that's we haven't is not covered by our understanding of reality, um, based on what we've done so far, where does it go? Or how does this work? Or yes. what makes sense? So um, kind of creating a, 
a rule set on the fly, I guess is maybe a way to put it. Um, and then if something is against the rules or something sticks out um, that doesn't make sense, being able to like, whoa, what the hell's going <laughs> yeah. on over here? Like, we got to sure. pull that, like, find what? So right. you go. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a guy selling peanuts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peanut guy. Wait a minute. That's way too ordinary to be in this magic town, right? right. So we're going to talk. It's basically that. So I think like, that's a fantastic. That's that's the best way I can Answer and assessment, especially having seen. Uh, I used to get the opportunity to see you improvise a lot, and I absolutely think that was a strength of yours and of the team that you were playing with, that I saw you play with a lot, is the ability to you know, create a world and figure out how what all of your places were in it. And I think that's some of my favorite improv to both watch and be a part of. So I think that's why... I was want to be like, hey, just so you know, I think you're great at this. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and people listening already know about you. So <laughs> I, I don't have anything to add to uh, that. Shucks. Um, well, I, I think that is a wonderful answer to that question. And I love that you beat me to the punch of saying like, hey, that's also D&D. <laughs> like, that's absolutely also... I realized as I was talking about it. Yeah, what makes you enjoy that medium and probably excel in a similar way of, you know, looking at the pattern that has already been established. And that has to be... A, I know that that's a D&D thing. And you even addressed it earlier of, well, I want to do this. Well, shit, I'm not sure what the exact rule is, but I guess if this is the rule in this situation, this is close enough to that. There's a little bit of that kind of fibbing. Yeah, like there's Tyler is a, an excellent DM, um, and that's one of the reasons I enjoy doing that podcast with him so much is because we, I think we learn a lot from each other in the room and then also breaking it down after our sessions. Um, but today I was like, Hey, can you build me? This is an insane request, right? Where he's right. already running the game and like doing all this prep. Um, and in game, Chelsea Norman's character is trying to woo my character. Um, <sighs> That's and I was like, he, she was, she was having uh, her character, um, whose name's Sheriff, uh, do a bunch of really impressive stuff. And I was like, can we make? Can you make a system for us, like something to roll on? Because we like dice. Right. Um, something to roll on. Can we create a system where I can see how impressive his, the the character's actions are towards me? Ooh. So we can find out if I'm slowly being won over. Right. And he was like, yeah. Sure. So he, after the game, <laughs> started researching like other game systems and stuff that operate on like bond systems and like gaining and losing opinions and stuff like that. So just, the, yeah, that idea of like, can we do this? Or like, what? how do I go about this? Or right. like, they want to do it, so it's happening. How do I, like, what are the guidelines or what does that mean? Um, What's your show with Tyler so called? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, my show with Tyler is called TLDM. <laughs> uh, it's the TLDM podcast. And um, it's on iTunes and uh, Libsyn and stuff. Awesome. And it's called that because if you haven't been able to tell from this podcast, uh, I... Both of us, but especially I, tend to go on really long-winded uh, monologues <laughs> in an attempt to adequately or overly explain simple, simple <laughs> concepts. Within your DMing? Just or in, in conversation. That's why every question you asked me took me two minutes of nonstop talking okay. to answer. It does. The, here's the thing, though, is if 
it helps me do my job as an interviewer in the same way that it helps you as a DM oh to my. ask the person questions. When you give me so much to work with, half of my job is done. And all I have to do is try to keep us on track and engage. So easy. So yeah, major takeaways, engage. <laughs> Cheesecake Factory, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, try D- out D&D. Try D&D. Yeah. Try D&D. And if, if it isn't what you want it to be or isn't to your liking, just change it. You're Make right. it to your liking. Thank That's you it. so much for doing this. It's been a wonderful conversation. I will play Dungeons & Dragons with you. Great. If I would have before we had this conversation. Well, then. So now it's just. I don't know why I came on the show <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan. Yeah. I love you and I mean that. Dude, way. I... I really appreciate you asking me to be on the show. Super fun. And I'm a fan of the podcast. Oh, so. you sweet boy. Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.